Well, welcome friends to the online ministry of St. Augustine's Church here in Inverell. My name is Matt Stones. It's wonderful that you could join us here today. Uh, this ministry has been prepared for the 27th of February. Uh, friends, let me read our sentence of scripture for today. It comes from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28, verse 20, and it says, Jesus promised, I am with you always to the close of the age. Well, friends, let's pray. The Lord, guide the course of world events and give your church the joy and peace of serving you in freedom. We ask this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Well, friends, we move now into a time of praise. Sings my soul, my Savior God 
or friends we come now to hear the word of God uh, our Old Testament reading for today is from Isaiah chapter 28 verses 14 to 19 our friends our psalm for today is Psalm 46 and our New Testament gospel reading is from Luke chapter 6 verses 39 to 49 friends let me encourage you take a moment now uh, pause read through Luke 6 39 to 49 for yourself uh, do that and then will come to hear God's word. Well, friends, let's pray as we come to hear God's word together. Our Lord God, please quiet our hearts. Please help us to hear you clearly, that we might know you more, and that we might live lives that are transformed being followers of Jesus. Father, please do this work in our lives, we pray. Amen. Well, friends, I don't like to be examined. Uh, I find it uncomfortable, whether it's standing before a doctor and having my body examined or someone looking over the results of one of my personality tests or standing before half a dozen people and having an interview for a ministry position. I find it uncomfortable. I don't like to be examined. And I wouldn't be surprised if, if you guys felt exactly the same way. I think one of the things that makes it uncomfortable is that we know that there's things about our lives that other people won't like, don't we? And what about if we practice self-examination? Uh, we know that there's things about ourselves that aren't perfect, right? Maybe things that, that we don't like. Maybe things that we want to change. But do we, really even, do we really need to go there? We find it so much more comfortable to sit back and look at others and judge them to examine their lives. And we find it easier to ignore our faults when we do it. Why bother examining ourselves? Why bother doing it? Well, the answer's simple because Jesus tells us to. Now today as we go through the final section of Jesus' Sermon on the Plain, we see that self-examination is exactly what Jesus calls his followers to do. Now, thinking of context, remember we're in the Sermon on the Plain, uh, Luke 6, blessings and woes, that's how Jesus started. He turned the kingdom values like upside down. He deals with how we should treat people outside. More than that, how we should treat our enemies. And he says we need to deal in love and mercy. Why? Because that's the way that our Heavenly Father has treated us, even when we were his enemies, Romans 5. Now, if that's how we're to treat those outside the church, what about how we're to treat those who are inside the church? And more importantly, how does that relate to the inward character of a disciple of Jesus, someone who's following him? Well, here's the answer. Jesus' followers are to be marked by a humility that impacts others. I'll say it again. Jesus' followers are to be marked by a humility that impacts others. And we'll see how this humility impacting others actually plays out as we work through uh, the sections in, in the back end of Luke 6 here. And you'll notice that there's a strong theme of self-examination, right? That uncomfortable theme. But before we get there, as we jump into verses 39 to 40, we firstly see that without Jesus, we are spiritually blind. He is the one we need to listen to. Now, Jesus jumps into a series of parables and word pictures here. And he starts with an image of, of blind people, right? And the answers to the questions he asks, they're pretty simple. We know them. Can, a can the blind lead the blind? No. Will they both fall into a pit? Yeah, they will. I mean, practically, this is absolutely true. How would you like to go for a walk, let's say, through the local quarry and uh, with a blindfold on, 
knowing that you're being led by someone who's also wearing a blindfold, right? It's not going to go well for you. You know that. But Jesus is using this physical illustration to explain something that's spiritually true as well. There's no good following someone who's spiritually blind, who, who doesn't spiritually have their eyes open. And so the implication, make sure we're following someone who does. I mean, there are many religions of the world, many people who claim a way to God, a way to heaven or to Nirvana or whatever have you. So many people as well think that it doesn't matter which one of those you follow. They're all just paths that lead to the same destination. Maybe you've heard that before. But what does Jesus say? Look at verse 40. The student is not above his teacher, but everyone who's fully trained will be like their teacher. Right in the first century, there weren't libraries. So if you're a student, you couldn't learn at the library. You had to sit at the foot of your teacher. And a student wasn't going to have greater knowledge or greater insight than their teacher. And their aim was to be like them, to have their knowledge. And this is what it's like with Jesus. Disciples of Jesus need to make sure that they're being led by the right person. Not someone blind, but a teacher. But Jesus himself. I mean, there aren't multiple ways to get to God, to get to heaven. I mean, there's only one right and true way. Islam, blind. Buddhism, blind. Hinduism, there's only one teacher and we need to listen to him. And so what's the implication for us? Let me say two things about this. Firstly, we need to make sure that whoever we are listening to is listening to Jesus, right? Quick application, is your Bible open? Is it open? How do you know that what I'm saying is Jesus' words and not just what I'm making up? Amnesty moment, take a, take a minute, open up Luke chapter 6, starting at verse 39. Make sure that you're not being led by someone else who's spiritually blind. We need to look at God's word. Second thing, Jesus is the teacher who speaks with authority here. That means neither you nor I nor anyone else can lay aside his teachings thinking that we're above them. I mean, sometimes we like to find ways to excuse ourselves from the hard commands, the hard sayings of Jesus, whether it's about human sexuality, about Jesus' challenge to the wealthy, about the the call to love, bless and pray for our enemies that we saw last week. It's tempting to excuse ourselves from the hard commands of Jesus, isn't it? But we aren't above Jesus' teaching. We We need to realize that if we think we are, they're actually showing spiritual blindness. So here's the call. Keep listening to Jesus. So what has Jesus just said? Well, he's just said, don't judge, don't condemn. But on the other hand, love, acting kindness to our enemies. Bless them, pray for them. But how's that supposed to work inside the church? I mean, does that mean we should never say something that someone is sinning? We should never call it out? How does that work? Well, Remember, Jesus' followers need to practice humility that impacts others. And so in verses 41 and 42, here's the first point of what that actually looks like. Jesus is saying, Don't be hypocritical followers of him, but take your sin seriously. Now this has to be one of the more familiar parables of Jesus, right? I'm sure you've heard it before. Imagine Two guys out there, yeah, cutting firewood. One guy's got the chainsaw, he's going at it, but he cuts the engine, he's got a, oh, a bit of sawdust has crept up under his visor and into his eye. I mean, if you've, if you've had that before, you know just how 
frustrating and painful that can be. Right, but Nosy Nelly, who's loading the truck, goes, Oi, you got you got a bit of something there, right? A guy's cutting guys with a chainsaw, he, he looks over at Nosy Nelly who's who's pointing it out. Look what's going on. He's got a big old plank hanging out of the side of his head, right? It's it's comical, like it's ridiculous. But we shouldn't let the the humorous nature of the illustration blind us to the seriousness of what Jesus is saying here, what he's teaching. I mean, we can be really quick to point out when we think someone else is acting judgy, when we think someone else isn't acting in love, when we think someone else is sinning. And when we do that, we tend to be really quick at overlooking our own shortcomings, overlooking our own sin. And Jesus is saying, don't be hypocritical in this way. But look at the end of verse 42 again. He's not saying that we have no place pointing out sin and, and seeking to help our brother or sister uh, deal, with, deal with the sin in their life. But he says, first, examine yourself. Hang on. Didn't Jesus, Jesus just say, don't judge? Don't condemn? I mean, noticing and pointing out someone else's sin, it feels pretty judgy, right? Well... We need to realize that there's a difference between judging and judgmentalism, right? The scriptures continually make moral judgments. Jesus himself in in John chapter 7 says, make a judgment about me, but make a right judgment. In Romans 2, Paul makes a judgment and indicts his fellow Jews for this same kind of hypocrisy. And likewise, we shouldn't turn a blind eye to sin. It's judgmentalism that Jesus is condemning in verse 37, but he calls us to make, to be discerning, to make judgments. A fundamental difference between the two is that, well, it's love. Judgmentalism is rooted in evil, uh, in ill will rather, uh, while judgment has the other person's best interests at heart. And so judging others, it needs to have, needs to start with a love for God, a love for the other person and a desire to see them grow in Christ. And the goal of pointing out sin isn't just so that we can, we can look down our nose at the other person. No, the goal is to help them deal with sin. And when we do this from a place of humility and a place of love, look at verse 42. That's the goal to help them deal with it. And that's why self-examination is necessary first. There's nothing loving about ignoring sin. I'll say it again. There's nothing loving about ignoring sin. Have a listen to what Paul says. Galatians 6 verse 1. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. Well, friends, we are all sinners. We are all in need of God's grace. And the Christian community is one which deals with, which bears sin together. And we need to be discerning in this way. However, it needs to be done in love and humility, not hypocrisy. But as we keep moving through our passage now, we, we see that uh, judging doesn't end here in this section because in verses 43 to 45, Jesus gives another little comparison that calls for good judgment. And like what we've just seen, it involves a call to self-examination first. And the point is, 
followers of Jesus are called to examine their own lives and hearts. And so the illustration that he gives now, I mean, it's a pretty simple one. How can you tell if a fruit tree is good? It has good fruit. How can you tell if a fruit tree is bad? It has bad fruit. It's a pretty simple principle. Verse 44, each tree is recognized by its own fruit. All right. Did you see the judgment word there? Each tree is recognized, right? There's discernment, there's judging, there's recognizing. It doesn't mean that you're being judgmental against the tree and condemning it, no, but it means making a right call, using observation to see what the tree is generally like. I mean, you know where Jesus is going with this, but he leaves absolutely no room for doubt. And the point is, it's the same for trees as for people. Verse 45, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. Friends, what someone is like on the inside will show in what they're like on the outside. But as I read this, I mean, I feel a tension. People aren't always that black and white. And I I mean, I know Christians whose lives don't seem to match with the faith they claim. But I also know people who live unrepentant lives before God who seem to live morally better lives than some Christians, perhaps. So is this right? Can a person's spiritual position be seen uh, by the product of his or her life? Well, yes, but I want to say four things about that. Firstly, our fruit here, it's not an individual moment, but a sustained pattern of life. And secondly, uh, our observations of other people They aren't always complete. We don't always see everything. Only God has a complete perspective. Thirdly, our scripture is clear that when we have a regenerated heart, when we have faith in the Lord Jesus, it'll actually show in that our lives are transformed, that we'll live by the Spirit. And so an absence of fruit in someone's life actually makes me want to ask the question, is there repentance there? Is there faith? Is there actually regeneration going on? And then fourthly, There's a particular focus on words here. Did you see it at the end of verse 45? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Jesus emphasizes here that the mouth is what provides the primary evidence about the state of one's heart. And we relate to others primarily through our words, don't we? I mean, we looked at it last week. Judging and condemning on the one hand, or loving, forgiving, blessing, praying. I mean, these are all things that we do, at least in part, with our mouths. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. Now friends, as a pastor, this is the thing that really makes your heart ache. I mean, I have so many friends in ministry sharing with me time after time, frustration after frustration as people, people they've been pastoring, people they've been sharing their lives with, been sharing the message of Jesus with, reading the Bible with, do things that are totally contrary to the faith that they've been claiming doing things that are inconsistent with following Jesus. It's hard to watch. But what do we do with this? I mean, are we simply to read this and say, hey, Jesus, thanks for this God, and then start looking around at all the people around us? Is that what we do? Well, friends, I want you to notice what Paul, uh, the apostle to the early church, what he does, uh, what he says to those he's ministering to. It's in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5 and 6. He says, examine yourselves and see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. And I trust that you will discover that we, ha- that we have not failed the test. 
I mean, yes, he asks them to, to judge him, to test him, to see if he is bearing good fruit in his life. But what's his emphasis? It's examine yourselves. It's self-reflection. And so for Jesus' words about the tree and the fruit it bears, I mean, like what we just said with the sawdust and the plank, the first way that we're meant to apply this is to ourselves first. And so here's a moment for you to stop and reflect. Aside from sitting here in church, aside from sitting in people's homes for Bible study during the week, what is our life? And especially the way that we speak to and about other people. What does it say about the condition of our heart? Does it say that we have a heart that loves and trusts Jesus? As we examine the way that we ourselves act and speak, it should impact the way that we then relate to those inside and outside the church. Because followers of Jesus have that humility that impacts others. But humility isn't just about the way we relate to other people. It's also about the way we relate to him, the way we relate to Jesus. And as we get to verses uh, 46 to 49, we see that to follow Jesus is to trust him as Lord and Saviour. And I want you to notice what he says there in verse 46. Um, presumably, I, I take it's directed to people standing near him. 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Friends, this is the last thing that I want to hear as I stand before him on judgment day. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? I mean, sadly, I think a lot of people will be in that position. Are we submitting every part of our lives to Jesus? Well, friends, words are no substitute for obedience. It means nothing to simply give Jesus lip service, but not give him the allegiance of our lives as well. And Jesus is the Lord. That means that he's the boss. He's the king. He's the ruler of the universe and our lives, our lives too. So how should we respond if Jesus is Lord? Well, look at verse 47. It looks like someone coming to Jesus, hearing his words and putting them into practice. Or coming and setting a light before him, acknowledging your need, your desperate need before God. It means hearing his words. Luke 19 verse 10, the son of man came to seek and save the lost. This is good news. This is good news for us. And then putting his words into practice by placing your faith in him as your Lord and Saviour. Well, that's what authentic discipleship looks like. And Jesus offers another word picture to illustrate how this actually plays out in practice. Right? It's the two builders. One who digs deep and lays a foundation down to the rock and another who doesn't have a foundation. Right? In Matthew's Gospel, he emphasises uh, the character of the builders. One's wise and one's foolish, not wise, right? And while that's true, that's not what Jesus' emphasis is here in Luke. Here, his emphasis is on the foundation. One has it, one doesn't. And the one who anchors their life in Jesus and his words is able to stand against the storms of this life. But the one not anchored to Jesus, well, they're going to come unstuck. And so I wonder... What's the foundation of your life? What are you anchored to? Are you anchored to anything? 
when your business or your farm collapses, uh, when you lose your health, when you lose a child, when you lose your wife, when you experience that intense pain, do you have a firm foundation that's going to hold you up? Is your life built upon a relationship with Jesus? Is it built upon the promise of God's word? Because as the waves of life beat around us, that's the only thing that's going to remain steady. That's the only thing that'll stand the test of time. The only thing that we can have hope in. But that hope, that hope's for far more than just this life. Now, if you're familiar with the Old, the Old Testament scriptures, you might know that this imagery of the raging flood we see in the picture here, it's often used to depict something else. It often depicts the judgment of God against men living in folly and rebellion. A judgment against lives that have been lived our own way, in sin rather than in obedience to our God and Creator. Well, friends, when the final test comes on Judgment Day, that's the foundation on which our lives are built that really matters. These words, yeah, they have an application for our life now and the, the storms of this life we talked about. But it's that final judgment day that's especially in mind. Now God, out of his love for us, his enemies sent his son down to offer his life in our place. Taking on the wrath of God for us on the cross. Taking on the punishment, the penalty for our sin. So that by faith, we can anchor our lives in him. And we stand where on Judgment Day? We stand forgiven. We stand forgiven, anchored in the true foundation, our Lord and Saviour, Jesus. And as sad as it is to lose your home in a flood, it's still sadder to see your life swept away on Judgment Day because you're not anchored to him. The only place where we can find hope. The only place where we can find eternal life. And so friends, if you don't have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus later, let me urge you, anchor your life in him. Trust in him. Because he's the only place where we can find shelter on that day. He's the only place where we can find a sure and firm, firm anchor. Experience, friends, the love, the mercy of our risen Lord Jesus. Put your faith in him. And if you've already done that, friends, live it out. Live it out. I mean, that's what a true follower of Jesus does. Uh, they anchor their life on him, and then they live out their life in obedience to him as Lord, with a humility that involves this kind of self-examination we've been talking about, and it impacts others with our lives then also, so that we deal with those both inside and outside the church in love. Well, Jesus started this sermon on the plain with blessings and woes, two ways to live, if you like. And as people who follow Jesus, we know that we are blessed. And our blessing isn't, it's not what we experience now, because this is as bad as it gets, remember? But the promise, it's the promise that we have for the future, the promise of the kingdom of God that we have through a relationship with our Lord and Saviour Jesus. And while we wait, we seek to live faithful lives, lives that reflect the love and mercy of our God, lives that cast off sin and seek to be obedient to him. And so as his followers, we should echo these words of Psalm 139 in our lives. Let me read them to you. The psalmist says, Search me, O God, know my heart, test me and know my anxious thoughts, see if there is any offence in me, and lead me 
in the way everlasting. Friends, may that be our cry as we trust and live for the Lord Jesus. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you do deal in love to us. You show us mercy in your Son, Jesus. Father, help us to live in response to that, to live lives that are humble, lives that serve the Lord Jesus, and lives uh, that see others built up. Father, help us to have this kind of community that we see here. Help Help us to treat others in this way. And Father, let us do it for your glory. Lord, we pray that your kingdom come. Amen. Well, friends, having heard God's word, we again move to a time of praise. Well, friends, we come to a time of prayer.
And so I'll invite you to whoever you're with, stop, uh, take a moment, there'll be a little blue screen that comes up, uh, pause it there, uh, spend some time committing the things of our lives, of the world, and our church to the Lord. Uh, friends, uh, please do stop to pray. Uh, it's an invaluable thing that we do as part of our Christian lives, knowing that we have a loving Heavenly Father who hears us. Let's pray.
Friends, uh, it's been great to have you with us this week. Now go in peace to love and serve the Lord. In the name of Christ, amen. Friends, we'll see you next week.